Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, The Daily Signal's White House correspondent. So this week, I think we've been wanting to do this show for a while, Fred. We're going to talk about, uh, you wrote a great piece on this, the seven presidents who are tougher on the media than Trump, than President Trump. I know a lot has been said that President Trump is unfavorable to the press. He, you know, of course, has made this this term, uh, this phrase, fake news, uh, kind of an international phenomenon. Um, So I think a lot has been said about that. A lot of ink has been spilled, certainly from from our journalists around this country. But I think you did a great job, and especially as somebody who... You know, both of us, we, we spent a lot of time in history. We read a lot about the past, especially political past. There were a lot of presidents in our country's history, starting from almost the very beginning, who were quite hostile to the press and actually did right. things that were far more extreme than well, anything Trump right. has done. Right, yeah. the President Trump, uh, fake news, also the media is the enemy of the American people, comments like that. Hey, and I uh, think it's... The press should be vigilant and make make sure, uh, you know, when comments like that are made by a government official, it's it's worth being a little concerned about. At the same time, uh, President Trump, unlike some past leaders, and you don't have to go, go back that far, have not taken any actual actions to con- curtail the freedom of the press. And uh, and by that, I mean government actions. I'm not talking about rhetoric. Yeah. And his rhetoric is worse than other presidents. But I think in terms of protecting the Constitution, protecting the First Amendment and freedom of the press, um, actions are more important than rhetoric. Absolutely. It's interesting. And, he says a lot of things, I think, publicly that many, many presidents have said, certainly privately, right. um, you know, kind of going back to kind of the beginnings of the press history in America. And I think America is one of the countries that really stands out for press freedom uh, in this world, despite what many say. We're probably, I would say, the hallmark of this. We have the First Amendment, which is, I think, a great part of our system. And the founding fathers who created this to create uh, a press freedom in this country didn't necessarily mean that they thought all that highly of the press. They understood that censorship itself through the government was dangerous, that ideas had to be debated in a public forum, that there's no government agency that could determine what is fake news and what is truth. Uh, But many of them were very, uh, very skeptical of journalists in particular for, well, spreading fake news, wouldn't you say, Fred? Yeah, right, right. Thomas Jefferson, he's not he's not one of the guys that uh, were, that is in this article, but we talked about him before we started the show here. Uh, and he he'd actually made a comment. I might be paraphrasing a little bit here, but uh, uh, if I had to choose between government without newspapers and newspapers without government, I would, without hesitation, choose newspapers without government. Uh, but at the <laughs> same time, as president, he would just sort of uh, say similar things to what you might hear from Trump today about. He thought newspaper men were liars and scoundrels and uh, didn't like what some of these Federalist papers in particular were saying about him. That's for sure. I, I like this quote that I think I mentioned before the show that he said – he said that he wrote this to a friend. Ask her what is not true. You always find abundance – in the newspapers. So, but I, he really gets Sounds caught like up fake this. news, right? It does. It's a little like it's a nicer way of saying that the press a is fake. A longer way news. of saying, yeah. Um, but I, so the first kind of example you, you brought here it certainly involves Jefferson. Uh, I think the first great example in American history, the, the Alien Sedition Act right. under the Adams administration, can you kind of explain 
uh, what that is, Fred, and what what happened there? Well, that was uh, that was largely 1798 law that President Adams signed to ban quote false, scandalous, and malicious writing against Congress and the president. Uh, that seems almost impossible <laughs> to imagine now, uh, and and it's also uh, makes it illegal to uh, to quote oppose any measure or measure of the government, uh, which is uh, as about as anti-First Amendment as you might imagine. The, this was at a time, uh, keep in mind, they were worried about the uh, French Revolution, uh, that something sim- akin to that might happen in the U.S. Uh, it, it also dealt with uh, you know, Im- immigration at, at, as well. But, uh, but, you know, there were cases prosecuted. Newspaper publishers were prosecuted under this law. Uh, I think CNN today would be in a little trouble under this legislation. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, when when Jefferson came into office, uh, they a Democratic Republican Party scrapped the law. So it's interesting. So I mean, it, it, some were actually uh, arrested in this law, including some some members of Congress. I think it was interesting. You wrote that uh, Congressman Matthew Lyon of Vermont, right, uh, who wrote for a lot of uh, Democratic Republican newspapers, who were kind of aligned with Jefferson, was actually. Tried and imprisoned for, I believe, uh, six months under the sign, given a big fine for a thousand dollar fine, which is quite extreme. I mean, that's that's yeah, literally put somebody right. in jail for this, uh, which is pretty incredible. Right, 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 and and that's, uh, I mean, thankfully, nothing like that's going to happen today. I mean, it's hard to imagine if 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 we if we reach that point in America, then I mean, that pro- would probably be grounds for. A new revolution, perhaps. Well, it, but I it, mean, I I don't think we're going to get there, uh, even though. Yeah, despite the hysteria you might hear on MSNBC saying that they were there already. Yeah, well, it certainly brought a lot in those days. It, it did a lot of damage to the Federalist Party and kind yeah. of led to a political revolution, the right. rise of Thomas Jefferson and his party to power in large part in response to this. Of course, you mm-hmm. had uh, the Virginia and Kentucky declarations that some yeah. some say leads to the ideas of nullification, things like that. But there was a lot of resistance around the country that led to, well, the destruction of the Federalist Party. So probably wasn't a great idea to try to arrest congressmen and members <laughs> of the press. Right. Um, so, so the next example you have here, and I, I think this is actually a, an interesting case because this is more a wartime contingency, but you actually write about – uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was uh, a very aggressive towards the press. Now, of course, you know we're talking about a civil war here, and not yeah, just uh, we, any we old are, war. Yeah, I mean there there is you know put this on total context here. We're talking about uh, when there's a armed rebellion against the United States government, or or I guess as some Southerners might still claim it was uh, an invasion by the North. But uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we yeah, this was a either way you characterize it. It was a civil war. It was a wartime measure, and uh, military, uh, the Union Army was uh, was involved in in some cases closing down newspapers that were uh, and even in the North that were sort of pro Confederacy or anti war. Uh, Lincoln didn't give these orders so much as he just said sort of do what you have to do. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting that it this didn't come directly from the president. Right. He just more or less turned a blind eye to what the military is doing. It's interesting. I, I mean, so a lot of people did get arrested. I know there was uh, this uh, General Order 38 in Ohio that ended up getting the arrest of uh, a guy who was actually the governor uh, of Ohio, Clement Valentingham, mm-hmm. who was a very pro-Confederate sympathizer. I mean, he was outright I mean, he was basically pro-Confederacy. It did launch a lot of uh, litigation. I mean, a, a trial went to the Supreme Court. So there was a lot of 
back and forth over that. He ended up actually running for governor from Canada at some point. <laughs> um, but it did cause a lot of controversy in those days. I mean, of course, one could say that this is uh, an extreme crisis uh, in our country's history that certainly I, maybe it may have warranted a little bit yeah. different take than, you know, just your day-to-day problems. Yeah, right, right. My, yeah, I mean, my own, my own view is this, this was probably – Extreme measures were necessary when you actually have a civil war going on. Uh, though, I mean, there have been books out there that were very, very much condemned Lincoln, sort of like trying to say this is what Lincoln really did and pointing out that he was out there closing down newspapers and so forth. So, I mean, there I'm, there, there, are there is room for debate on that one. But but I, I think far, uh, far more um you know, you, I, I don't think you can put Lincoln in the same same characteristics as you might put the Adams and the uh, Alien and Sedition Act. Sure. So the next one here, I, of course, I think are one of our favorite presidents to knock a little bit, Fred, is uh, Woodrow Wilson, yes, his Committee our, on Public Information. Yes, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson was, of course, our first fascist president. <laughs> he was a Democratic fascist. I will give him that. But... Um, but right, uh, he started the committee on public information, and uh, in in the course of that, uh, it it was um, he started the Daily Bulletin, which was a uh, large circulation newspaper, federally run newspaper, uh, closest thing that the United States had to Pravda, uh, or or the U.S. China People's Daily, something along those lines. But uh, th- this was. Um, this this was certainly something that, um, you know, Woodrow Wilson. It, it, it was done uh, during World War One, which sure. was uh, I don't think that quite uh, carries the same weight as what Lincoln was dealing with. This was not a war happening on our shore or on our in our own country. So sure, but 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 he was trying to uh, uh, get as much pro information out there as possible, and he financed it through the government. Um, it's pretty incredible, actually, too. I mean, people kind of forget that at some point he did have uh, a socialist uh, competitor for the presidency, right, Eugene Debs. Debs, arrested at one point for his criticism of the administration, which, you know, I, I like to, to point out that it was actually Warren uh, G. Harding, a president not many people have fond memories of, who actually got Debs released uh, on principle that it was wrong to have this man uh, arrested for his criticism of the government, but this was a wartime measure where they actually had people <laughs> who were critical at all of the of the Wilson administration and created a lot of these kind of modern uh, kinds of censorship that we were used to more seeing and under a lot of authoritarian regimes. Yeah. Uh, these these things happened during World War One in kind of an extreme way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, there was a there's a good piece that I quote from the Smithsonian Magazine about this, and it it says. Um, you know, the Wilson administration took immediate steps at home to curtail one of the pillars of democracy, press freedom. Uh, and, and and it did so in the name of um, defending democracy around the world. So uh, uh, and, you know, these work, work, the piece goes on to say these wartime measures added up to an unprecedented assault on press freedom. Wow. So the next ones we're going to get to kind of revolve around the same issue. There was actually a, a rule that I think a lot of people now are more aware of that's now gone, uh, the so-called fairness doctrine, which became uh, policy. It was actually administ- uh, administrative policy by the FCC that was created in 1949. But the so-called fairness doctrine, which was kind of used to 
at least in theory, create balance on the radio where you'd have a balance right. of opinions between Republicans and Democrats was actually used uh, in large part to go after enemies, political yes. enemies in the press. Can you kind of talk about some of the presidents who actually use this? Well, yeah. Uh, the, the first to really uh, put it in the hyperdrive was uh, Lyndon Johnson and or, or pe- people within his orbit. Uh, Lyndon Johnson and the Johnson administration and the DNC put together a uh, – Basically, a uh, kit that they sent out to to various uh, local chapters. Um, it was uh, Fred Friendly, former CBS newsman, wrote about this, in which uh, he said there is little doubt that this controversial scheme had White House approval uh, during the uh, LBJ administration. Uh, the but the DNC ran it. Uh, they said that they called it the challenge and harass strategy, in which they would go after um, basically. Uh, conservative broadcasters, usually on the radio, uh, sometimes on TV, uh, and start challenging their licenses uh, if you if if they determine you weren't presenting both sides of an issue. Uh, and in a lot of cases, the uh, broadcaster, the stations decided the litigation costs were too much that they were just going to get rid of these people because they, it was too much of a liability. And that's how they considered a, a success. This was followed up by Nixon, uh, who, of course, during Watergate. Um, so, you know, just to be fair, it's not a partisan issue, really. Uh, yeah. During during the Watergate, he had the FCC uh, taking a lesson from Johnson. He had the FCC target uh, certain TV stations, uh, one particularly ones that were owned by the Washington Post company, hmm. uh, to target their licensing. It, it is fair to say that in Trump's random tweets, he did say that maybe I should pull the license of MSNBC or CNN. One thing, there's no legal authority to do that with a cable network. The, the FCC actually regulates individual stations. Right. Uh, so also, I his, his own FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, said that that's not something we're going to be doing. So I think that was more a case of Trump sort of stream of conscious tweeting. So. Yeah, as we, we said, there's there's a difference between a rhetoric mm, and action. And in right. many cases, like with LBJ and Nixon, too, uh, there was certain action, certainly action right. on that end to destroy media enemies who are critical uh, of well, the administration. So when we kind of kind of uh, missed here. I, I actually just skipped over. Actually, we should talk about it because Franklin Roosevelt, yes, too, I right. think is a big one. Uh, and he definitely uh, waged war on a lot of journalists who were against him. He did so through tax audits and things like right. this. Fred, can you kind of explain that, uh, well, what that means? Yeah, well, uh, FDR, he was convinced, he thought 85% of American newspapers were against him uh, and against the New Deal. And he ended up uh, using the IRS to go after um, various newspapers such as um, the Chicago Tribune, uh, published by Colonel Robert McCormick, that w- which was at that time a very conservative, very Republican newspaper uh, and very anti-New Deal. Uh, and he also uh, – William Randolph Hearst, who was a famous newspaper publisher in those days, was critical of the New Deal. There was actually um, – uh, during that time, at the urging of President Roosevelt, uh, the Senate Democrats started up a, a special Senate committee on lobbying in which they looked into virtually any um, enemies of the New Deal or critics of the New Deal. It was chaired by, interestingly enough, uh, Senator Hugo Black, Democrat of Alabama, 
who uh, Franklin Roosevelt would later uh, reward with a uh, seat on the Supreme Court. But uh, in, in this case, um, Black would haul sometimes newspaper publishers, other enemies, uh, before this committee, and they would launch fishing expeditions. Wow. Uh, looking into, you know, what inappropriate things these people are doing. It's interesting because, I mean, some I mean, some of these cases you can say, well, you can point to and say, well, we're in a war where, you know, it's extreme measures. But this actually predates yeah, World was, War II. This is actually right, right, something that right, deals right, with Right, right, yeah. This, this was 1936, of, 1938, these things were happening. Right, so. criticism of domestic policy. I mean, a proposal, it's like uh, right. saying that, you know, President o- you know, Obama go after people for opposing Obamacare and things like this through legal measures. Um, so, and, and, and so I think that the last big one here, of course, is, uh, <laughs> that we have to definitely hit is, uh, President Trump's predecessor, which is President Barack Obama, who right. of course was in many ways loved by the press. I, I think that there's, there's, uh, I don't think that's an, an understatement that <laughs> many in the press, uh, had very warm feelings toward President Obama and were quite friendly to his administration, but, his administration wasn't always friendly to them. In fact, took some measures that I think actually raises to almost the, you know one of the highest levels on this list. Can you explain how the Obama administration actually uh, was aggressive toward the press? Yeah, well, the uh, the Obama administration, and, and particularly um, Attorney General Eric Holder's Justice Department, uh, really went after the press on a number of issues uh, under the Espionage Act and some, uh, uh, which was a again. Wilson area, but, but uh, uh, Espionage Act was a World War One. <laughs> All the one. bad things lead to Woodrow yes, Wilson. <laughs> yes, our only fascist president, or at least our first fascist president. Uh, but the uh, a Wilson era law, the Espionage Act, uh, which was from, uh, which was rarely ever used against anyone, but Holder decided to use it against the press as often as possible. Uh, and used it as grounds to uh, tap the phones of the Associated Press. He, he actually he named then Fox News reporter James Rosen as an unindicted co-conspirator in a national security case, and uh, also went after uh, New York then New York Times reporter James Risen, uh, not the R- Rosen Risen, the two different guys. Interesting though that they. Maybe the Obama administration didn't know the, know the difference. That's why they kept going after these, these two guys. Anyway, uh, they went after James Risen, uh, wanted to force him to reveal his sources and so forth. Uh, Risen, uh, at the beginning, uh, or actually after Trump was elected, but right before he took office, wrote an interesting op-ed for uh, the New York Times, in which, uh, and I, I want to read from that. Uh, he says, if Donald J. Trump decides, or if, as president to throw a whistleblower in jail for trying to talk to a reporter or gets the FBI to spy on journalists, he will have one man to thank for requesting him such expansive power, Barack Obama. So. <laughs> thank you, uh, President uh, Barack Obama. Yeah. That's that's one uh, precedent uh, I think that I think many in the press uh, probably would have squawked about a little more today uh, if this had actually I, been under I, President Trump I uh, think so, yeah. doing something, yeah. which is, I, I would say, quite an extreme uh, assault on uh, press liberty. I mean, certainly there were some in press, including many in the AP, who obviously condemned these actions. But, I mean, that's a quite direct measure. That's not just rhetoric. That's not just saying right. nice things publicly and, and also doing so through law. That's actually using aggressive measures toward 
this what we consider independent institution of the press in America. Right, right, yeah, and uh, I, yeah, but I'll, I'll even add to that a little bit. I mean, from the Ryzen article, he said, under Mr. Obama, the Justice Department and the FBI have spied on reporters by monitoring their phone records, labeled one journalist an unindicted co-conspirator in a criminal case for simply doing reporting, and issued subpoenas to other reporters to try to force them to reveal their sources and testify in criminal cases. Absolutely. So, I, you know, kind of drawing some conclusions here, because obviously this, this is pretty extensive list of presidents who have taken uh, aggressive actions toward the press in, in American history. Some have, you know, been during wartime, but some, I think, definitely crossed the line constitutionally and certainly led to a lot of damage for this country and, and did some things. But at the same time, I mean, we have in America enjoyed a great deal of press freedom, despite the actions of some presidents. Uh, for the most part, we do have a very strong free press, unlike I think what we see these ideas in France and Europe right now that, you know, to censor the press, well, to create these commissions, kind of right. commissions to, to weed out fake news. And I think it is something that's very positive strength of the American system. We do have this First Amendment even if presidents do want to take actions, they're going to have to contend with the American legal system, with the Constitution of the United States, with the, the ideas of the American people who I think deeply resent the idea of censorship, which I think is a longstanding yeah. American tradition. We have a tradition of politicians attacking the press and the American people fighting back and preventing that, which I think is is what kind of makes America what it is. Yeah, and, and I think as far as President Trump uh – Beyond name calling, the the only policies he has put out there is the, the as I mentioned before, pulling licenses, also libel laws, strengthening libel laws. Um, I don't think there's any support in Congress for either of those. Uh, I don't think you'd get very far. Also, if you want to strengthen libel laws, I mean, as as we talked about before, we went on the air. That's probably not something that would go very far because there's Supreme Court precedent sort of setting the parameters of libel law in the United States under the New York Times versus Sullivan decision. So, Yes, that's absolutely true. America has definitely had a, a freer uh, regime regarding the press. But you know, let's not, you know, let's be let's be honest here too. I mean, the press has made a lot of mistakes and does yeah, make mistakes. Right. I think we've seen a higher uptick in uh, I mean, honestly just actual fake news and you know, when the president says mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's that's the right of the American people, too. In a certain sense, we're all a participant in what is we think of the free press. There's not just because you see a certain journalist on TV, that doesn't mean that they are the bearer of all truth. I mean, right. you know, we have minds to think and, and believe what we want about the press, whether we believe the president, whether we believe his critics or things like that. And, you know, that's kind of a part of, of what our system is. So there's well, nothing magical about being a journalist. You're just a, a <laughs> right. citizen among – even though right. two of us who work in media, obviously, in the Daily Signal, which we we take a lot of pride in, in accuracy and truthfulness in what we do, you know, this really is about, you know, the American people and their judgment of what is true and what's false and being a citizen of a republic and having the mind to think that this is true and this is false. Yeah. And that's not determined by the president I'm, or, uh, you know, CNN's Jim Acosta. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And I, I would, I think, urge our listeners to look at one of our previous episodes, which is about the history of fake news. Um, and, and one of the big things to come out of that, I think, one of the big takeaways I had as I researched that topic, most cases of fake news were discovered by other journalists. Yes. And, uh, you know, pointing this out, whether 
some cases, the New York Times or CBS News uh, botched a story, and it was exposed by the free press. So I, I think that's ultimately what the First Amendment is the ultimate arbiter. Here. And that's what it was designed to do, for us yeah. to find the truth. And the truth can't be found by a government board. It can be found by the American people, ultimately. So, yeah, Fred, again, yeah, I, I do urge uh, listeners to check out Fred's piece, which is called Seven Presidents Who Are Tougher Than Trump on the Media. And you can find that at dailysignal.com. It's really uh, a fantastic piece, Fred, very illuminating oh. about our oh, country's well, history. Thanks, thanks, everyone, for joining us on The Right Side of History. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when we air our next program. And if you're further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at FredLucasWH, and Jarrett's Twitter, at Jarrett Stepman. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jarrett Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.